This is Africa Digest. It is 1700 hours Central African time. Hello, welcome to Africa Digest on Child Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg. You can find us on 9625 kilohertz. That is on the 31 meter band if you're in Southern Africa. My name is Spumilele Zonde and I'm with Onelantinti Wisanima Tebula and Mosibudi Makura. Your top stories. The European Union has threatened Congolese politician with fresh sanctions. Confederation of African Football, or CAF, President Atta Hayato, has commended the efforts of Zambia and that Zambia is making in the development of football in the country. Hundreds of thousands of Cameroonian women took part in marches all over the country today to mark International Women's Day in economics. Sebrick condemns all Tambo International Airport robbery and in sport. South Africa looking f- to qualify for the other 20 AFCON final. Here's on the Thank you, Pumelele. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Wednesday called on the international community to provide more support for the African Union mission in Somalia, Amisim. The troops battling the Al-Shabaab militant group alongside the Somali National Army. Speaking after a meeting with Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta, Guterres said funding cuts to the mission would hamper the global war on terrorism. He spoke a day after he made an emergency visit to Somalia, where at least 6.2 million people are faced with starvation following the prolonged dry spell. Sarah Kimani has more. AMISOM needs to have predictable funding and needs to have support in the development of its capacities in order to be able to fully meet uh, its objectives of fighting terrorism and creating the conditions for a future for Somalia. Nigeria's Namdi Azikiwe International Airport in the capital Abuja has been temporarily closed down due to its chronic state of dis- dis- disrepair. Travelers and Nigerians can expect major disruptions which will last for up to six weeks. Last month, the bad condition on the runway caused South African Airways to cancel flights to Abuja. This meant planes had to land at the smaller Kaduna Domestic Airport, a three-hour-long bus journey from Abuja on roads infamous for bandits and kidnappers. Now, travelers have no choice but to use the Kaduna Airport, which the Nigerian authorities promising to station police and soldiers along the road. The government of the Democratic Republic of Congo says it maintains its offer to support the burial of late veteran opposition leader Etienne Chisegedi in the DRC subject to the country's law. This statement comes after Chisegedi's biological family rejected the burial site the government has prepared in the capital's main cemetery and postponed the repatriation of the deceased body from Belgium. General Bamweza has more. 
Etienne Chisekedi's body was supposed to be repatriated here in Kinshasa this Saturday, but his biological family surprised the people when it announced that the deceased body's repatriation has been postponed for the coming days. Chisekedi's own brother, Bishop Gerard Mulumba, who made the announcement, explained that both the deceased biological and political families want him to be buried at his party's headquarters in Limete instead of burying him in the site the government has been building at the Gombe Cemetery here in Kinshasa. Old African cultural practices in patriarchy are said to be major factors that contribute to high incidences of gender-based violence. This emerged at the special debate by African parliamentarians to mark the International Women's Day. In several African countries, women are still subjected to genital mutilation and sexual abuse. Women rights consultant Agnes Sapea. Our African cultures and religions tend to supersede the human rights aspect of women. And yet our own African charter, I mean, clearly states that you have a right of dignity and life. But you continually see women uh, being abused. Uh, You see a lot of our girls getting married at really very young age, child marriages. All those are gender-based violence issues in Africa. And then the most and very, really, very critical is most of the harmful practices that we have in Africa. For example, the female gender mutilation. And lastly, Indonesian President Joko Widodo says South Africa and the rest of the continent will remain high on his government's foreign policy priorities. He was speaking at the end of his Behind Closed Doors meeting with President Jacob Zuma in Jakarta on Wednesday. Zuma is in the Indonesian on a state visit. He has witnessed the signing of the 2017-2021 action plan that will guide and monitor bilateral relations between the two countries. President Widodo explains. This meeting is important for Indonesia and South Africa as to greet emerging countries and members of the G20 and hope both countries uh, could become locomotive for South-South cooperation. Based on both those frameworks of cooperation, I would like to reassure Your Excellency that Africa is Indonesia's foreign policy priority. Channel Africa News, I'm Onelintzinti. This is Africa Digest. Thank you very much, Onale. It's 17.06 Central African time. The EU has threatened Congolese politicians with fresh sanctions if they don't resolve the current political stalemate in the country. This as the Democratic Republic of Congo waits for the country's first ever transition of power. The Central African country has been in a political deadlock since President Joseph Kabila's decision to stay in power after the end of his second and last mandate last year. Talks to implement the transitional government deal agreed between Kabila's government and and the opposition were thrown into disarray after the death of opposition coalition leader Etienne Chisekedi last month. Channel Africa reporter Kumbero Mujarara compiled this report. 
Opposition coalition leader Etienne Chisikedi was sent to oversee transition of power to a new unity government under a power-sharing deal agreed between the opposition and President Joseph Kabila at the end of last year, paving the way for a peaceful handover of power. But Chisikedi died last month and a row over who would become his successor and prime minister of the new government blocked the implementation of the December 31st deal. In a meeting in Brussels, the EU foreign ministers stated the crisis in the Democratic Republic of Congo can only be resolved by the rapid implementation of the agreement, reminding politicians and members of the security forces that it is prepared to adopt new individual sanctions. Echoing the United Nations Security Council, the EU said it is also concerned about recent reports of serious human rights violations committed by local militias and security forces, particularly in the three provinces of Kasai and the Congo Central in the Kivu provinces and in Tanganyika province. According to Ramazani Polepole, DRC's political analyst, the sanctions were long overdue. Uh, yes, it's a very good thing. It's a very good sign for the government that is not uh, is trying to stop the implementation of the agreement. Uh, but also you have to understand that there is a misunderstanding of international community of the crisis of Congo. Centralizing everything with uh, by the election uh, doesn't going to solve the problem. Yes, this it will put pressure on the government to see that there is a clear sign that the international community start understanding that there is a need of changing of the regime in the DRC. But uh, on my point of view, is not a, a solution. The implementation of this agreement uh, that they had uh, last time is not all crisis of Congo cannot be centralizing only by saying election. Elections is not going to solve all the problems of Congo. I think the international community needs to see more than that agreement only and give more sanctions. Last year, the EU imposed individual sanctions on seven senior security officials of Kabila's regime it claimed were responsible for violence that killed some 50 people in September 2016 in Kinshasa. The Democratic Republic of the Congo has been in a political deadlock since President Joseph Kabila's decision to stay in power after the end of his second and last mandate in December 2016. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbaro Munjerere in Johannesburg. Confederation of African Football or CAF President Isaiato has commended the efforts of that Zambia is making in the development of football in the country. He was speaking when he paid a courtesy call on the mayor of Livingston before going to view Victoria Falls. More from Hilda Akekelwa. CAF President Hayatu, who was speaking through an interpreter, said he has been highly impressed with the quality of sports infrastructure such as stadia in Zambia. He also said the enthusiasm people have been showing since the commencement of the under-20 Africa Cup qualifying competitions are simply amazing. He said in terms of what he has seen, Zambia is capable of hosting even major tournaments. I think that what we have seen here pas seulement au football, mais dans l'ensemble des, des aspects sociaux, et tout particulièrement dans le football, qui est notre domaine. C'est très clair que ce pays, nous découvrons que ce pays est un pays très développé, pas seulement dans le 
in the football, in the sportive area, but uh, in uh, many aspects, economic and everything. Concerning the organization of the 20th edition of the Africa Cup of Nations Total Zambia 2017, he would like to express uh, he is very, very proud and he is very uh, happy uh, about what he saw uh, here in this country in, uh, in terms of the installation, in terms of the, the infrastructure here and, uh, in, and uh, the good quality of the stadiums and the organization as well. He feel, he feel the enthusiasm here of the people when we organized a, a small competition like the under 20, but uh, he, uh, he, he, he cannot imagine what will be if we, we give the Zambia the, the big AFCON. So I think it should be, it should be more and more better. When we leave this country on the 13th uh, of March, after the final, we will go back with uh, a full satisfaction about the organization of competition, and uh, we will do our, our job as the ambassador, as uh, we will tell people what we saw, and we, uh, we are very, very proud about the organization of uh, this tournament. In conclusion, he would like to uh, express uh, his uh, hope to the Zambia in uh, or the organization of the big Afcon here in your country. Merci beaucoup, Monsieur le Ministre. Merci. During the visit to Livingstone, the CAF chief, who was accompanied by his vice and other officials, was conferred with the position of Global Tourism Ambassador for Zambia, a position he gladly accepted. This was after Southern Province Minister Edify Hamukale welcomed him to Zambia's tourism capital and urged him to sample what the country has to offer in terms of wildlife and other attractions and then tell the world about them. Due to the fact that you uh, give him the right to be your ambassador, so uh, he, will, he would like to uh, confirm to you that uh, during our uh, next meeting of uh, CAF Executive Committee, scheduled to be held on the 14th of uh, uh, March, uh, he will brief the member of the committee what he saw here in this country and uh, how your country is very developed in order to ensure a future program for football for you next uh, in the future. The five-member CAF team took a day break from the ongoing under-20 games in Lusaka and Dola to fly down to Livingston to see one of the seven natural wonders of the world, the Victoria Falls. They also viewed game at the Big Five Safari. As the tournaments continue, host Zambia meets South Africa at the Hero Stadium in Lusaka today for a place in the 2017 under-20 AFCON Games. The winner will face victor of tomorrow's semi-final involving Guinea and Senegal who play at Levy Mwanawasa Stadium in Dola. Reporting for Channel Africa from Livingston in Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za 
and click on Programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear, click on Listen and enjoy Channel Africa Radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa Radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. It's 1716 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Now, today is International Women's Day for 2017. This year's theme is Women in the Changing World of Work, Planet 5050 by 2030. To mark the occasion, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, FAO, hosted an event on behalf of the UN's Rome-based agencies. Particular emphasis was placed on the key importance of rural women in in the fight against hunger, malnutrition and rural poverty. More from Brave Ndesale, Director of Interim FAO Social Policies and Rural Institution Division. Women are key actors in the culture sector. On average, FAO did a report in 2011 and showed that about half, so if you get the exact number, 43% of a culture labor force comprises of women. And this significant varies in different parts of the world. It ranges from 20% in Latin America to as high as 60% in East Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa. Their contribution to agriculture work varies widely depending on the region, but also specific crop of activities. Women are cultivators. I can say they are farmers. They own their own land, but they are also workers. They can be employers. They are being wage laborers on and off farm enterprises. Almost everywhere, women contribute in the whole agriculture supply chain. What are the core issues begging for attention now when it comes to the lives of rural women? Quite a few. One of the key significant issues is the issue of access. Access to productive resources. Access to assets such as land, access to inputs and services in the whole agriculture sector, be it livestock or fisheries. And so women also have limited access to extension services or advisory services, financial services, technology. And this really imposes a huge cost on their agriculture productivity, but they also have difficult access to markets. The second issue is voice and decision-making. Women are usually not in the leadership role and they are not able to voice their concern and influence policies and programs at all levels, national, local and community level. And also women, they have problem of work time poverty, which means they do more of productive work and then reproductive work in the house. And so to find time to do everything like TV is difficult. And what needs to be done by governments with weak gender policies to address these issues? At FAO, we've done a couple of things to work with member states upon good policies that are gender sensitive. But number one issue is the political commitment. It's very important to have political commitment at highest level. And this can then translate in making sure that you assess what are women's and rural women's challenges that are impeding them to be more productive and contribute to the development agenda of the country. Because if we do not, then 
and we are not embedded in the inclusive growth that the SDGs have actually placed upon one. Let's not leave anyone behind. We should be inclusive in development, but women are a potential. They can actually yield much more. And the studies have shown that if you give women access to technology, they can actually increase yield by substantial amount and move people out of poverty. So let's translate our political commitment in strong policies and programs and investments that are actually going to address these gender gaps. Brave Ndesala is the director at Interim of the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, Social Policies and Rural Institutions Division, talking to FAO Radio's Moriel Saar. Hundreds of thousands of Cameroonian women took part in marches all over the country today to mark International Women's Day. Many have been taking part in a campaign targeting schools, traditional rulers, palaces and traditional settings where access for women was hitherto prohibited. This to encourage women to register on electoral lists and participate in the country's decision-making. Women constitute 52% of Cameroon's population, yet their voices are hardly heard because traditional practices discourage them. Channel Africa's Mokikinzeka is in Yaoundé. Cameroon women make up 52% of the 23 million population. But last year, the country's elections management body, Elections Cameroon, ELECAM, reported that just 2.6 million women as against 3.2 million men among the potential 11 million voters had registered for future elections. Celestine Kecha Cortez, women leader and mayor of Bangante in Western Cameroon, says women can make a difference and occupy political positions if they use their numerical strength. Il faut que les femmes acceptent d'accompagner les femmes. Car si nous sommes majoritaires, comment une femme ne peut ne pas être élue car elle est candidate? She says women should accept to accompany women by registering on electoral lists. She says if they are united and have confidence in themselves, a woman who wants and is qualified will be elected, but cautions that the competition with men is stiff. Many men believe the woman's place is in the kitchen to cook for the family, at home to carry out family chores, and in the farms to provide for their families. Some are poor and others are afraid to take bold steps that will change their situations in the communities. Fon Fobuzi Martin Asanje, traditional ruler of Chomba, a village in northwestern Cameroon, says long practices which make parents prefer sending only their male children to school are also excluding women from decision making. Women should be given a chance to show their talent today in a society. Gender equality among citizens. Gender equality. 32-year-old gender activist and singer Gracia Fonyoy sings in Yaoundé on International Women's Day to encourage women to stand for their right to education, health and presence at decision-making circles. Among the women listening to her is 45-year-old Saliha Madiku, who has for the first time registered to vote in future elections. 
She says the most important thing women achieved during week-long activities that culminated with International Women's Day celebrations is that they educated domineering men from the Muslim-dominated northern regions of Cameroon to allow their wives and female children to register to participate in future elections. I must tell you the truth. And I have my freedom, freedom to decide. You not imagine that in my community, husbands dictate everything. They seize our identification documents to stop us from registering to vote. Our husbands control us and control their female children. Such outdated ideas should be stopped. You stand therefore, presidents of the NGO More Women in Politics says they are organizing the educative caravans to empower and sensitize women to know their rights. She says by targeting young women and girls, they intend to increase the number of women participating in elections in Cameroon to at least 60%. The women should empower themselves, especially educationally, because you cannot be thinking of going to parliament or being a mayor when you are not educated. Cameroon has 31 female mayors out of 370 in the country. 31% of the country's 180 member parliament are women and 20% of the 100 member house of senate is women. In her message on the occasion of the 2017 International Women's Day, UN Women Executive Director Pumzile Miambo Chuka said big changes must be made for men to parents, women to participate, and for girls to be free to grow up equal to boys to realize the benefits that will come to all from the equal world envisaged in their Agenda 2030 for Sustainable Development. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. This is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, celebrating 20 years of South African freedom and democracy. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. Channel Africa One on Twitter. The Pretoria Pretoria High Court in South Africa has set aside an environmental authorization decision by the country's Minister of Environmental Affairs for a thermo or for a Tabamezi coal fire power station in the country's Limbopo province. Nicole Luza is attorney for the Centre of Environmental Rights and she explains. So we're very happy with the judgment. The judge has set aside the Minister of Environmental Affairs decision on the proposed coal-fired power station's environmental authorization 
So what this means is that the minister now has to reconsider our appeal of Tabamesi Power Station's environmental authorization, and she has to reconsider this alongside the climate change impact assessment for the power station and public comment on that climate change impact assessment. So this sends a strong message to government and any developers proposing developments that will have significant climate change impact because it means that any new proposed development now will have to consider climate change impacts before an authorization, an environmental authorization, can be granted. Does this set the, the precedent for future cases on climate change? Well, yes, we certainly hope so. I mean, the judgment and actually in court it was made pretty clear that the National Environmental Management Act and South African law in general requires that qualified power stations need a climate change impact assessment as part of their environmental impact assessment. And all of the parties seem to agree on that fact. You mean the Department of Environmental Affairs also agrees on the outcome of the court? Uh, well, well, that we don't know. We hope they, that they will support the outcome of the court. This is victory also for the communities living in and around the area as well as the environment uh, protection in the yes. area. Yes, certainly, because the Waterbeg area where the power station will be based is very vulnerable to the impact of climate change because it is predicted that as climate change progresses, there will be less water available in the Waterberg, there will be more droughts, there will be more floods, and this power station will be using and polluting the very limited water that is available to communities and to farmers in the Waterberg. What's the farmer saying in the area? with regards to the outcome of the judgment? I can't say that we've spoken to all the farmers. We have been in touch with the attorney of one of the farmers and we know that they are opposed to the power station and we trust that they will also be supportive of this decision because climate change is going to have a significant impact on them and on farming in the country because of the fact that it will result in less water. It will have impact on soil productivity, on land productivity, on temperature increases. This is all going to have significant impact for South Africa's food productivity. And a big project such as the Tabometi coal-fired power station will obviously require a lot of water to operate and it will pollute the water that is needed by these farmers for their farms and for the communities. So these impacts needed to be considered before a decision could have been made to authorize the power station. What's the way forward for Earth Life Africa, Johannesburg, and the Center for Environmental Rights? Uh, she's, uh, so now the decision, well, first we have a comment on the climate change impact assessment that Tabamesi will be submitting to the department. We have commented on the draft climate change impact assessment. The final climate change impact assessment will be made available sometime this month. We will submit comments. And then the minister will be required to consider those comments alongside the climate change impact assessment. And the minister can then make a decision on whether to set aside the environmental authorization and refer it back to the department for reconsideration. Or she may dismiss our appeal again, in which case we will then have to consider what further legal steps to take. Marco Malekalakala, Program Officer for EarthLife Africa, Johannesburg, says the judgment sends a strong message to developers. It's a like to welcome the decision by the judge. I think this sends a very strong message to government and to the developers that before anything happens, the project could go ahead. They need to consider climate change impact of any project. I think climate change needs to be taken seriously, and that is what this case was all about. We also have to take into consideration that the 
area of the waterbed is waterfront and also has been recently declared a hotspot area on air pollution. So this sends a very strong message because we cannot have developments at expense of the lives of the people and also at expense of the environment. So we welcome the position and the message sent by the judiciary. I think that's a message that would make all of us as South Africans accountable, but also as developers that it is important to save the environment. That is Makomale Kalakala, a program officer for Earthlife Africa, and Nicole Luza, attorney for the Center of Environmental Rights, talking to Wandile Kalipa, your news headlines now. Libya Parliament calls for polls before February 2018. United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres on Wednesday called on the international community to provide more support to the African Union mission in Somalia and old African cultural practices and patriarchy are said to be major factors that contribute to higher incidences of gender-based violence. Channel Africa News, I am Onilin Zinsi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Your time is 17.33 Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Spumele Lezondi. I am with you until 1800 hours Central African time. Find us on Twitter. We are on Channel Africa 1 or you can send us emails. It's info at channelafrica.co.za. Now, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has urged the world to avoid a tragedy in Somalia like the one that happened in 2011 in reference to a famine that was concentrated in the south-central part of the country at the time. Briefing the press in Baidoa in south-central Somalia, Kuderesh appealed for 825 million US dollars to support more than 5 million people in the next six months. He says the United Nations and its partners have a plan but lacks their financial means to put it into action. Jocelyn Sambira. Somalia is facing famine triggered by severe drought. It's being called Odi Hawain by the Somali people, which means something bigger than the elders, because no one has seen a drought so severe. In an effort to get the world's attention, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres traveled to the Horn of Africa country on Tuesday. This is a moment of tragedy. People are dying because of famine, because of disease. But this is a moment of hope, because the government is ready to act 
because the humanitarian community is ready to act. Mr. Guterres also went to Baidoa in south-central Somalia, a town that's been hit by a cholera outbreak. Cholera has been developing, uh, making hunger even worse, even more dangerous. In the last two months, we had 7,731 cases of cholera with 183 people dying. Just last week, 1,352 cases of cholera, 38 people dying. It's a process in acceleration. A drought was first reported in the northern regions of Somalia more than a year ago, but it has now spread throughout the country. 6.2 million Somalis need aid, according to UN estimates. 330,000 children are acutely malnourished, and there's a risk the number could go up to a million, the Secretary General warned. He's asking the international community for $825 million to support 5.5 million people over the next six months. There is a chance to avoid the worst. There is a chance to avoid in Somalia situations similar like the one we had in 2011. But it's also a moment of hope, Antonio Guterres said, adding that the UN, the humanitarian community, and the government of Somalia were cooperating closely and had drawn up a plan of action. But massive support is urgently needed to avoid a repeat of the tragic events of 2011, he said. A famine was declared in Somalia in 2011, and 260,000 people died from it. Three areas of the world are also facing the threat of famine. The UN has appealed for funding to assist people in South Sudan, Northeast Nigeria, and Yemen. Jocelyn Sambira, United Nations. Only 28% of senior management roles in South Africa are held by women. This is according to a new report released by Grant Thornton, a global independent assurance tax and advisory firm. Adding to this, almost a third of 31% of South African companies have no women at all in senior management positions. The annual report, Women in Business, New Perspectives on Risk and Reward, is based on the firm's report, which surveys over 5,000 businesses in 36 economies. While higher than that of last year, the percentage of women business leaders has not changed significantly since the start of Grant Thornton's research 13 years ago, when this figure was at 26%. Globally, too, the pace of a change towards gender equity remains glacial. More from Director of Advisory Services at Grant Thornton, South Africa, Leanne Bach. Grant Thornton actually does international research, so it's not only just in South Africa. We do it around the world to have a look at what are the trends of women in management positions. And when you say it's not looking pretty in South Africa, only 28% of senior management roles in South Africa are held by women. And the reason why it's not looking pretty in particular, obviously we should be, given that women count for 50% of the population, we would expect it to be closer to 50%. But the thing is, it hasn't changed in the last 13 years since we've been looking at this. We've basically moved from 26% 13 years ago to 28% of senior management roles held by women at the moment. And to make it worse, we've got more than 30% of businesses in South Africa have no women in senior management positions whatsoever. And what is the reason for this slow pace? Just to let you in on some information as well, that the slow pace is not unique to South Africa, it's a global phenomenon too, that things are just not happening around the world either. And really, I put it down to complacency. And I put it down to the fact that business have said, okay, we need to have a woman in a leadership position. Let's put a woman in a leadership position. And they tend to go what are classified as soft roles, so maybe HR manager or marketing manager. And let's tick that box. We've addressed the woman issue. 
now we don't need to move on. And of course, in South Africa, businesses are faced with other issues that they need to deal with, which are legislated, like, for example, BE requirements. So that's higher up their agenda than having women in management positions. In terms of just having private companies generally in businesses, having women in these higher positions, do you think that the lack thereof of women in senior positions is because women are still seen as those that belong in the kitchen and they can't do anything better than that? Absolutely. Definitely we have a very patriarchal society still in our business environment. We, we don't encourage women. And in fact, we have a very patriarchal leadership style where leaders are seen as hard, aggressive, working long hours, propping up the bar with their mates around a beer. And it's these types of characteristics which actually don't appeal to women as well. And we as business are not encouraging different types of leadership styles which actually appeal to women or creating a culture within our organizations that say to women, we welcome you. We understand that you might have different priorities and that we don't have to have this hard, aggressive leadership style in running our business. It takes all types. And do you think that the fact that uh, women have other things that they would have to deal with, you know, there's a point where a woman would have to take time off work for maternity leave and stuff like that, or to go and take care of their children when they're sick or whatever issues that they would have as mothers. Do you think that the role as mothers are taken as disadvantage for them being put in those positions globally? Yes, I do. And it shouldn't, it absolutely shouldn't, because the way the world has changed is that these types of roles are not just for the mother. And everybody should have an opportunity to take on a career if they want to. And just because they're a woman, they should not be penalized against it. Or just because they're a mother, they should not be penalized for wanting to take on that responsibility. So our business cultures, our organizations need to change their attitude to women and to men. So we need to think about, for example, it's not only maternity leave policies we need to consider, we need to think about paternity leave policies too. We should be encouraging men to participate in their family lives just as much as women want to or do participate. So in other words, we need to neutralize the playing field. And if you look at the Grand Thornton research, when you look at Eastern Europe, in particular Russia of all places, do you know that 47% of leadership positions in Russia are held by women? And there was not one single organization in the research that we did that did not have a woman in a senior management position. Not one organization. And the reason why Russia is so advanced is because of the way they treat their equal society, the old communist society or the more socialistic type of societies where they treat women and men equally, have encouraged this. So women are not disregarded or not negatively viewed because they are mothers, for example. And men are given equal opportunity to be fathers and to participate in the home life as women are. And globally, what is the attitude towards trying to promote women to senior positions going forward? Has it changed over the years? Are there things being done? Because we see this year's International Women's Day is more politicized. You know why I think there's more activism around it this year? Because I think these women are getting upset about the fact that the rate of change is so glacial and so slow that nothing is really happening. I was actually working out this morning, and I have two daughters, that it's going to take probably seven generations before we have any gender parity in South Africa. And I'm thinking, do I really want to tell my daughters that, sorry, the world is not an oyster?
because you were born female. And because of the patriarchal operations of our businesses, the people who are in control of what's happening are male. So it's very difficult to actually get that mindset change. It is happening in some entities, some organizations. We have seen significant change in some organizations, but some organizations have got a long way to go. And I just was chatting to somebody I know the other day who is in a senior management position. And I asked her, and I said, how do you manage your hectic work life and family life? Because she doesn't work after hours. She says, unless she absolutely has to, she works an eight-hour day. And she said to me, because what I achieve in the eight hours is more than any male has ever achieved in the same position. And she says, nobody can point a finger at me. Looking at it on the other side, it's actually quite sad that we have to put in so much effort to prove that we are capable. And we have to go beyond what a male will do to actually get recognition and to be accepted. That is Leanne Bach, who's the Director of Advisory Services at Quant Thornton, South Africa, and Independent Assurance Tax and Advisory Firm, talking to Tutongobin. It's time for Economic News with Wissana Matabula. In your economic news at this hour, Etisalat Nigerian affiliate is in talks with local banks to renegotiate a 1.2 billion US dollar loan it took out four years ago to expand its network in the country after it missed payments. Etisalat missed payments due to an economic downturn in Nigeria, a currency devaluation there, and dollar shortages in the country's interbank market. The telecoms firm is looking to renegotiate the terms of the loans. Nigeria has been running short of dollars as oil revenues have fallen along with the price of crude pushing the economy into its first recession in a quarter of a century. Zimbabwean conglomerate Meckless Limited is mulling delisting from the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange and is planning an offer to minority shareholders. Meckless is pick and pace partner in the TM supermarkets chain in Zimbabwe. It also operates city and resort hotels and recently ventured into mining in addition to tea processing operations. Meckles has previously had disagreements with the Zimbabwe Stock Exchange and in 2015 the stock market suspended the company's stock from trading over alleged misrepresentation of facts and its financials. The South African Airways has confirmed that uh, the thousands of US dollars stolen at O.R. Tambo International Airport in Johannesburg on Tuesday night was due to be transported on one of their planes. A high-level investigation is underway to probe into the robbery at Africa's biggest airport. It's believed that the gang pretended to be police officers, stole a container that was supposed to be loaded into an awaiting plane. SAA spokesperson, Tladi Tladi. The incident that happened involved a consignment that was due to be transported on an SAA aircraft. At the time when the incident occurred, no SAA aircraft was in the vicinity, nor did the incident involve the airplane itself. None of our passengers, nor our crew members, were exposed to any harm in any way whatsoever. Our operations continued as per normal, notwithstanding the incident that occurred yesterday. South African Airways Pilots Association, SAAPA, announced that it will commence with legal proceedings to have South African Airways Chairperson Dudumieni declared unfit to hold office. 
The association says it will be collaborating with Lobby Group, the organization of undoing tax abuse outer in the legal action. Saapa says they believe the country's airline is in distress as a direct of a dysfunctional leadership. Saapa's chairperson, Jimmy Conroy, says morale at the state-owned airliner is low because of Dudumye. Section 162 of the Companies Act empowers this legal action. 162.5 stipulates a court must make an order declaring a person to be a delinquent director if the person, while a director, grossly abused the position of director, acted in a manner that amounted to gross negligence, willful misconduct or breach of trust in relation to the performance of the director's functions within and duties to the company. Business confidence in South Africa declined in February from the prior month, uh, weakened by lower trade volumes and retail sales. The South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, SARC's monthly business confidence index fell to 95.5 in February from 97.7 in January. Saki says a low inflation, high commodity prices and a slightly stronger rand made positive contributions to the index. Africa's most industrialized economy is struggling to attract investment. One US dollar will cost you 12.97 South African rands, 10.30 Botswana Pula, 9.69 Zambian Kwacha. It will cost you 0.81 British pound and 0.94 against the euro. The commodities market uh, gold $1,216, platinum $956 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil is now at $55.65 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. It is time for your sports news now. Good evening, sports fans. I am Osibu Dimakura with the latest sports news at the Sawa. Starting off with football news, Tabo Sinong, head coach of South Africa's under-20 team, has made three changes to the team that will play Zambia in the first semi-final of the ongoing AFCON tournament in Zambia. Sinong has handed starts to Mamnoli Sundowns defender Nortan Ngobo, Kaza Chiefs midfielder Wiseman Mayiwa, as well as Super Sport United striker Kanyisa Mayo. The men to make way are Katlaho Mohamed, Liam Jordan, as well as Pagamine, uh, Pagamine Mslambi. The match is set to get underway at 6 p.m. Central African time at the Hero Stadium in Lusaka. Here is Nong speaking ahead of tonight's encounter. We don't worry much about talking about the opponent, and uh, but also we, we, we said, you know, it's always better when you are an underdog, you know, because you always have to push harder, you always have to work harder, uh, you always try to make sure that frustrate the opponent, uh, you know, uh, especially because we have to be honest, uh, uh, Zambia are under pressure, you know, that uh, they are hosting, and of course they want to win the tournament because they are a good team, you know, and then of course, but, uh, you know, this is why it's called a beautiful game. It's got surprises. Sometimes the game can turn the opposite way. Uh, on the day, it's 
it's, 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 it's up to the team that wants it more than the other team, you know. So uh, the preparations have been done by both South Africa and Zambia. The second semi-final between Senegal and Guinea will take place on Thursday, also at the Heroes Stadium. The South African Football Federation will on Thursday announce the Bafana Bafana squad to face Guinea-Bissau as well as Angola in friendly matches on the 25th and the 28th of March, respectively. Bafana Bafana are still without a coach. There are suggestions that Mashaba's former assistant coach, Owen Dagama, may oversee the national team side until a permanent successor is appointed. Meanwhile, assistant manager of Egyptian club Zamalek, Ismail Youssef, has revealed that players at the club are calm ahead of this weekend's CAF Champions League game against Nigerian champions Ungu Rangers. Zamalek's last season's losing finalist will face the Flying Antelopes in their first game of this year's competition after they were drawn a bye in the preliminary round. The White Antelopes were beaten 1-0 by Monsieur Lil Makasa in their last competitive game five days ago in the Egyptian Premier League, but that did not dampen spirits within the camp of the five-time African champions. Yusuf also dispelled reports that there were a mini, uh, rather there was a mini crisis at the club following a meeting summoned by President Mortaza Monsu with the coaching staff earlier this week. And finally, in hockey news, Fabian Gregory, head coach of South Africa's national men's hockey team, says he wants to see his team do better at the ongoing Cape Town summer series. South Africa went down 6-2 to Germany last weekend and lost 1-0 to England earlier on Monday. Gregory says it's been great playing top nations, but it's important for his team to remain consistent. Sessions have been really good. We've been working on in some of the tactical components that we want to make improvements on, um, especially in our defense where we felt that we were conceding too many goals. That's the first thing. And the second thing, we were also conceding too many penalty corners. Um, and those are two areas that we've made gradual improvements over the last two weeks since we've been in Cape Town for the second phase of summer season. And the second component was that we want to grab the opportunities that we get. So we haven't been able to score as regularly as we would have in the previous series, but in this series there's been improvements. Um, and I've been just the only component I've been a bit disappointed with what was our match on Monday evening against England where we absolutely dominated the game but unfortunately didn't put the ball in the back of the net so that is a bit disappointing and we, we lost a, we lost a tight game one now. The Zaya Sports News at the Sour stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Africa Digest. It is 17.54 Central African time. Let's recap our top stories. The EU has threatened Congolese politicians with fresh sanctions. Confederation of African Football or CAF President Isaiato has commended the efforts Zambia is making in a development of football in the country. Hundreds of thousands of Cameroonian women took part in marches all over the world. 
That wraps up Africa Digest for today, for this hour rather. For myself, Spumadele, Zondi producer, Tracy Pumgard, Senegal producers, Fusu Masheko, and the rest of the Africa Digest team. Thank you very much for listening. Emails, info at channelafrica.co.za, SMSs, plus 278-2332-5905. And tweets to Channel Africa 1. We leave you with Dozy and Pendugan.